hope that they would rescue 20 to 30,000 of the almost 400,000 troops. Did you hear that number? 20 to 30,000. He hoped that. If these troops were indeed killed, England would surely have to surrender to Nazi Germany, and the war would be over. Europe would be under German rule. Given Hitler's maniacal schemes, it goes without saying the unbelievable evils he would have carried out. Well, in England, people were fervently fasting and praying. One notable example was at the Bible College of Wales. Students there prayed from 7 a.m. until midnight, taking a short break for dinner. And many days, students fasted and prayed. No doubt others did the same in England. And what happened next was nothing short of amazing. On May 24th, 1940, Hitler overruled his generals and ordered the advancing German tanks to halt. His advisors told him to finish off the Allied forces, but inexplicably, he ordered them to stop. Instead, he decided to bomb the Allied troops. Then on March, excuse me, May 26, the King of England called for a day of prayer and went himself to Westminster Abbey. People flocked to churches to pray. There may have never been such an outpouring of prayer in the history of England. And on that same day, every conceivable boat was launched out of England to go to Dunkirk to rescue the troops. On Tuesday, May 28th, an enormous storm hit the area. The storm grounded the German planes and allowed the Allied troops to make it safely to Dunkirk. Then the English Channel, which is notoriously choppy, became as still as a pond. All told, almost 340,000 troops were rescued. A far cry from Churchill's hope of 20 to 30,000 troops. Churchill called it a miracle of deliverance. England was unable, or excuse me, England was then able to regroup and resume fighting. Eventually, of course, America joined the war, and five years later, the war was won. However, if it was not for the miracle of Dunkirk, things would have been much different, and our world would be much different. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Prayer is a great privilege given to us by God to know him better and to see his power in our world. But if you are like me, you feel you have so far to go. I see my shortcomings, but I want to grow in prayer. I want to be mighty in prayer. How about you? I've not preached a series of messages focused on prayer in some time. 
And I'd like to go back to the school of prayer. I know it's summertime, but I want the school of prayer to be in session. For the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the all-important topic of prayer, moving step-by-step through the essentials of prayer. We're going to explore some key questions like, what is prayer? How should we pray? And what are the pitfalls of prayer? So with Scripture as our guide, and by God's grace, my prayer is that all of us would have a renewed sense of insight and knowledge and passion when it comes to prayer. Will you join with me? So let's start with a definition of prayer. You know, sometimes we just talk about prayer and don't stop to define it. I think it's actually important to think clearly about prayer since it is so important. Theologian Wayne Grudem offers this definition that I found helpful. Prayer is personal communication with God. Prayer is personal communication with God. So prayer is personal, right? It's not rote. It is not robotic. We speak to God from our hearts and our minds, the very depths of our beings. Our prayers reflect who we are. And we pray this way because God is not some impersonal force, but the living God of the universe, He is personal. We speak to him as we would speak to another person. God gave us a mind, and he wants us to communicate with him. We don't need to use a specialized technical prayer language that only a few people can learn. Prayer is a simple, heartfelt conversation with God. What a privilege to be able to communicate with God. Now, I think prayer primarily refers to our speaking to God. But I also think prayer is encountering God. What I mean by that is that as we are guided by Scripture, it isn't just talking, but we also ponder the greatness of God, don't we? We can just sit there in silence and bask in the glory of God, right? Because as we pray, we're filled with various emotions such as awe and love. And then sometimes God speaks to our hearts, doesn't he? It's not just a one-way conversation, but he speaks to our hearts, gives us wisdom about things, identifies sin in our life, provides assurance where there is fear and trepidation. More could be said, but I think that's just kind of a running start to what I mean when I say What is prayer? How do we answer that question? What is prayer? I think prayer is personal communication with God. Going a bit deeper with that question of what is prayer, I think it's important to discuss two types of prayer, two types of prayer that I think you find in Scripture and are very much reflected in our Christian experience. In his book about prayer, Pastor Tim Keller calls them communion-centered prayer and kingdom-centered prayer. Let me start with communion-centered prayer. By that, I mean the focus is on communion with God. That means referring to our fellowship with God, encountering God. As we speak with God, as we encounter God, our prayers are gonna take shape in a variety of ways, won't they? There will be praise, 
There will be confession of sin. There'll be adoration. There'll be thanksgiving. There'll be requests that we make to God. That is communion with God. Do you see that? Then the second type of prayer is kingdom-centered prayer. And by that, I mean our prayers focusing on the advance of the kingdom of God. We realize, based on Scripture, that our world is a sinful, fallen world, and that God wants to renew this world, doesn't he, by the advance of the kingdom of God. That is what it is about. And so we pray for others to know God and to be transformed accordingly. And so as you study the pages of Scripture, you find both of these emphases, don't you? You see communion-centered prayer, and you see kingdom-centered prayer. For example, the Psalms. We should love the Psalms because the Psalms are the Old Testament prayer book, aren't they? They give us inspired prayers that we should use in our own prayers to utter our request to God and to praise Him and so forth. And there we find communion-centered prayers. Listen to these words of David. In Psalm 27, verse 4, hear this man's heart. He writes, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and and to inquire in his temple. David longed just to simply commune with God. Here's another beautiful passage. Psalm 63 begins this way. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David just longed to be in the presence of the Lord. And before you think, well, that was just in the temple, he goes on to talk about even on his bed, he just longed to be in the presence of the Lord, enjoying communion with God. But then you also find these kingdom-centered prayers. For example, Psalm 67, 1 to 3 says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So the writer wants the, the, wants the God of Israel to be known to the nations around, right? So the kingdom of God would spread. So scripture emphasizes both types of prayer. Communion-centered prayer and kingdom-centered prayer. Unfortunately, I think we often emphasize one to the detriment of another depending on our personalities, our church background, and so forth. Would you agree with that? As you think about your own prayer life, is there an emphasis on one to the detriment of the other? Some of us overemphasize communion-centered prayer. Our prayers focus primarily on God and ourselves. We, we, we praise God or we're making different requests Right, And it's kind of hard in our very individualistic society here in America not to have sort of a communion-centered prayer life as well because we do focus on ourselves so much. There's nothing wrong with a communion-centered prayer life, but we also need to have a balance, don't we? Then on the other side, some of us overemphasize kingdom-centered prayer. We want to see the kingdom of God advance, right? We want to see the church grow. We want to see missionaries sent out. We want to see Bible translations and new languages and so forth. 
For example, I really respect John Piper and his ministry, fantastic ministry God's given this man. In his book, he, in Let the Nations Be Glad, he really impacted a, a, a whole generation of missionaries. And in that book, he writes, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness, darkness and unbelief. Now, as much as I sympathize with that view, I think it needs to be balanced with a communion-centered prayer. So as we think about prayer, let us remember that prayer is both communion-centered and kingdom-centered. So do you emphasize one or the other? Let's resolve to try to do both. And let us be enthralled by that incredible, glorious thought that God does want you to share communion with him, the greatest conceivable being, the greatest who is the judge, the creator, the redeemer. He wants you to spend time with him. That thought should never cease to stun and amaze you that God wants communion with you. And then also, God wants you to participate in the greatest possible mission, which is the spread of the kingdom, right? He wants us to be praying to advance the kingdom. Now, finally, as we explore what is prayer, we need to establish that prayer is Trinitarian. Prayer is Trinitarian. God has always been a trinity. He's always going to be a trinity. But Jesus revealed that God and his nature is like this. And we need to pray how God has revealed himself to be, not how necessarily we want to pray. Amen? In other words, if we're going to be mighty in prayer, we should think long and hard about how God has revealed himself to pray to him. So let me explain this. Within the Godhead, each person is fully God, possesses all the divine attributes. But within that Godhead, there is this ordering of roles and authority. And generally, the Father is revealed as the source, and the Son is the agent who accomplishes the Father's will, and the Spirit perfects what the Son has accomplished. And so when it comes to salvation, the Scripture teaches again and again that the Father chose us before time began, the Son accomplished redemption for us on the cross, and the Spirit applies what the Son accomplished to our lives. Amen? By redeeming us, regenerating us, making us alive in Christ. Now, these, iron, these distinctions aren't ironclad, but they are there with salvation. And the same thing holds with our prayer lives. For example, in Ephesians 2.18, it captures this dynamic so well. It says, for through him, speaking of Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. For through Christ, the Son, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So the great preponderance of prayer in the New Testament is addressed to the Father. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. All of his prayers are addressed to the Father, except, of course, when he was on the cross. And he prayed out Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment of alienation as he was being judged on the cross for our sin. Paul usually addresses prayer to the Father. He says in Ephesians 1, 15 to 17, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
And then he goes on to finish the request. But you notice he prayed to the Father of glory. Now let me clarify, it's not wrong to pray to the Son or to the Holy Spirit because they are fully God. Each is fully God. Last week, Paul closed in 2 Thessalonians 2 with a prayer to Christ. But if we want to let Scripture inform and guide our prayer, we need to follow this pattern we see in Scripture. So the primary addressee of our prayers is to the Father. Then our prayer is through the Son. It's through the Son. You say, what does that mean? Go back to Ephesians 2.18. It says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ is our access to the Father. As Tim Keller notes, that Greek word there, which we translate access, was used to speak of a monarch who would grant an audience because you couldn't just walk into the presence of an ancient royalty figure, right? You might lose your life. And so he's saying there that Christ gives us access to God. He gives us access. We don't just barge into the throne room of God. Did you know that? If you're going to have your prayers heard, we need access. And Jesus gives us access based on what he did on the cross, church. Because of what he did, we now are seen as righteous in the presence of God rather than covered in our sin. And what's amazing is that we always have this access. This access is always open because of Christ and what he did for us. And in essence, Paul's really just echoing Jesus, what he said about praying in the name of Jesus. In John 14, 13 to 14, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So we're to pray in the name of Jesus. And basically what he's saying there is that I want you to pray through me. And in Scripture, someone's name wasn't just to identify Bob from Joe. It was a way to encapsulate their essence and their character. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying based on who he is, based on what he did on the cross, and based on his authority, we are now entering into the presence of God as we pray. So we pray to the Father through the Son. We also pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 8 says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. You say, what does that mean, to pray in the Spirit? A little bit earlier in chapter 5, verse 18 of Ephesians, Paul commanded the readers to be filled with the Spirit, meaning that their lives were to be controlled by the Spirit. They were to live their lives in obedience to the Word of God because they were allowing the Spirit to lead and to guide them. And it's the same way when we pray. We're to pray in the Spirit, pray in a sense of surrender to allowing the Holy Spirit to lead our lives before we even come to pray so that we're honoring God with our lives. And then when we actually pray, we're being led by the Holy Spirit. We don't just plop down a list and say, God, I have something I want to share with you. We are being led by the Spirit. There's nothing wrong with having a prayer list, but we're also led by the Spirit as He puts things on our hearts and our minds to pray about. And also there are times when we might go through difficulties and we don't even know how to pray. Ever been in that time? 
Here's a word of encouragement. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26, the sex, 6 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray for what we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, when we think about prayer, church, we need to be reminded that as we're going to the school of prayer, prayer is essentially Trinitarian. We pray to the Father through the Son and in the Spirit. This is how God wants us to approach himself. So friends, hopefully we've kind of answered clearly that question when we say, what is prayer? Prayer is personal communication with God. Prayer is communion-centered and kingdom-centered. Prayer is Trinitarian. And I want to close just by stressing the need we have for prayer. Prayer is the key to the Christian life. Do you believe that? We cannot live a holy life without prayer. We cannot be a godly parent without prayer. We cannot be a strong witness for Christ without prayer, and so on and so on. It all goes back to prayer. We need to pray. There's a great British evangelist and prayer warrior named Leonard Ravenhill, and he said one time, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. Ouch. I've got one for you here too. (laughs) The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Much interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, failing here, We fail everywhere. And friend, if you're not convinced, look to Jesus. We often lose sight of the fact that a major factor in Jesus' profound life that he did and the impact he made on the world was his prayer life. Yes, Jesus was fully God. He was unique in many ways, but by becoming fully human, he also modeled how we are to live as humans, right? God wants us to become like Jesus. And Jesus had a relentless passion to pray. Listen to a few of these examples. Jesus was praying at his baptism when the Holy Spirit came upon him and then empowered him for the rest of his ministry. During his ministry, Jesus would rise up early before the others had got up, and he would go out by himself, and he would pray. Before selecting the disciples, which we all know, that was a monumental decision, wasn't it? It says he spent the night in prayer. In his teaching, Jesus stressed the importance of prayer. He said sometimes there are demon possessions that cannot be cast out except by what? Prayer. 
Or if we have a small amount of faith, remember just a mustard seed of faith, we can see great answers to our prayers. What made Jesus so mad, right? When he went into the temple, he saw the temple, which was supposed to be what? A house of prayer falling well short of God's standard. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus interceded for his disciples and those who came after him in the high priestly prayer of John 17. And then a little bit later, while he was facing, of course, the prospect of the crucifixion, Jesus wrestles for hours passionately with God about what lie in front of him. And on the cross, Jesus prayed. Seems to be just quoting some of the lament psalms in the Old Testament. Jesus died praying. So friends, if Jesus prayed at every turn as God incarnate, how much more should we? So let us seek God's grace as we seek to grow in prayer. And I know that God can do a great work in each of our lives as we do. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence through Christ and in your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in this stillness and this quietness about the importance of prayer. Lord, we ask you to forgive us where we do fall short in many different ways when it comes to prayer. God, we ask that you would give us a resolve to be greater at prayer than anything else. To remind us about the great glory of speaking to the God of the universe to enjoy your presence, to participate in the greatest mission of all, to advance your kingdom. Lord, we need direction from your word. We pray that we would listen afresh to what your word says to us about growing in prayer. God, we pray that you would give us a greater passion, that your spirit would burn like a fire in our souls. Pray that you would set our church on fire and a passion for prayer. And Lord, we are humbled as we look at the example of Jesus who prayed at every turn. We pray that we would emulate that and not seek to think that we could do these things in our own strength but that we would have a constant dependence upon you 
and that we would have a greater faith to see you work in mighty ways. And Lord, I do pray there's someone here today who has heard these words about prayer and says, you know, that would be nice. But I don't really know God. Lord, I pray that today they would see they can know you. This morning, because of what Jesus did, our access to God, that when he died on the cross, he tore the temple veil, and the door is wide open for anyone who will simply humble themselves, admit that they have sinned before you, and believe that you are the Christ, and that you died on the cross to forgive them of their sin. And Lord, we know how you awaken hearts. I think about before I knew you, I probably prayed a handful of times in 20 years. And now I want it to be the air I breathe. Lord, I pray that you would do that work in someone's heart and mind today. We love you, God. We pray that you would stir our hearts, wake us out of our slumber, move us in a way that would glorify you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Church, next week we will discuss how we should pray. What should we actually be praying when we go to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit? I think a lot of times we kind of want to pray, but sometimes we run out of things to pray about, right? We pray the same old things. God can change that. So come back next week as we talk about how God would want us to pray. Amen? Chris, come lead us in some announcements.